the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on 860 AM, theanswer.com. That's AM860, theanswer.com. I'm your international Dr. Bill, since you can reach me on the world, on the web worldwide, 9 to 10 AM Eastern Standard Time in the United States, every Sunday morning. And we also have my... Past shows recorded on the website, drbillradiomd.com. We're also a uh, uh, bright uh, um, iHeart station. Is that what we are, an iHeart? Okay, I kind of forgot for a minute there. I hadn't said that in weeks. iHeart, so you can pick us up on your smartphone anywhere in the world. Well, we were talking, Bill and I were talking before the show about the attitude of people on the left over the shooting of congressman scalisi and there's a headline in the town hall news which is the conservative christian news channel uh it's in print and i think they also have some live or some stream tv shows and one of the officials up in the north said that he wishes he was blankety blank dead and this was on the internet i think the guy got fired for that Uh, it's it's amazing to me that It's so blatantly touted that people on the left wish that people on the right were dead. It makes me a little nervous, needless to say, although I'm not um, a a raving fanatic. I do have some conservative views, and I wonder when I'm going to be targeted. Well, you know, political violence is not new to our nation. We were founded in blood. We fought mom and dad because we didn't want to have to pay rent without a voice in household affairs. And political violence has been in our landscape since from the early Shays Rebellion and Whiskey Rebellions in the 18th century to duels, assassinations, the Kansas Quasi-War and the Civil Wars, the killing of two presidents, Lincoln and McKinley. McKinley was actually in the 20th century, but right at the turn there. And we've also seen political violence in terms of terrorism. We've seen bombings on Wall Street in the 1920s. We've seen unions and the government in the 20th century and unions and the Pinkerton police in the 19th century going at it. People killed. Even Andrew Carnegie and his steel mills, which were some of the best jobs to have in that era, 
was not immune, and, and there was a strike while he was out of the country, and his junior partner hired the Pinkerton police to come in and break it up, and there was murder and bloodshed on both sides. So we're not new to this, but it, it strikes me as odd that people on the left are saying, haven't we evolved beyond violence? And yet they seem to be perpetrating a lot of it, at least in my lifetime. And back in the 60s and 70s, the left-wing groups were the perpetrators of violence in our society, politically motivated. At least that was what was purported by these folks. We had the Weather Underground, the Black Panthers, the Symbionese Liberation Army, uh, SDS, which was a campus left-wing group. And I think I've shared this before with you guys that at an anti-Vietnam War rally in St. Louis when I was there in 67, 68 for my first year of college, St. Louis University, there were a group of ultra-liberal, looking a little bit older than the freshman college student guys who came in held the rally and spoke against the government and against the war in Vietnam. And I went up to them afterwards because I thought, well, maybe there's something to this. And I said, well, what is it that we need to do to help stop the war? And one of the guys, I think, who later was involved in the Chicago 8 said, uh, you know, we don't care about the war in Vietnam. We don't care about people dying and killing each other. We want to overthrow the government of the United States and replace it with a socialist regime, which was an eye-opener for an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid first time away from home, I, uh, I still think about that a lot. And I think about all of the violence in the 1970s that was perpetrated by the left against supposedly the right, but it seemed rather indiscriminate to me. I mean, people were hurt and killed, including police and civilians. And a lot of policemen were Democrats back then. It was a unionized, I guess it still is fairly unionized, group of, of people. And of course, their sentiments are not going to be with the conservative gang who wants to cut down on the strength and power of the labor unions. So uh, I never did really fully understand it. And I think that a lot of times, as one psychiatric friend told me, uh, rebels ultimately have no real cause. I don't think that's absolutely true. But Certainly, there's a modicum of truth in that, and that we oftentimes will vent our anger and our fear and our frustration, and it's not really directed at the person or the people or the institutions that have caused us to feel this way. And, you know, either we learn how to conquer our fears and get through life with some serenity and some happiness, or we don't, and there's a small enough and intelligent enough and active enough portion of our society at the extremes who have not learned how to handle their anger and their fear and are very explosive and are willing to take it out on you and me and plus years let's say back to McKinley I mean, McKinley was killed by an anarchist, a leftist. John F. Kennedy was killed by Lee Harvey Oswald, who was a professed communist and had visited Russia, the Soviet Union at that time. So I, I think that there's a preponderance, at least in my lifetime, of violence perpetrated by the left 
against seemingly the right. I wouldn't consider Kennedy a right winger, but uh, certainly he was anti-communist, which put him in the camp with the right wing in the minds of those who who were ardent communists and believed in the communist philosophy and theology. You know, the problem I have with things like terrorism and uh, communism is that the end justifies the means. You know, if your end goal is to make the whole world Muslim, and Muhammad said you can do it by violence if necessary, then the means doesn't really matter. Well, this really flies in the face, as I've said before, of all of our Western ethics and morals. And how do we check this? I don't know. I think that we have to be diligent and we have to be alert and we have to stop and think about who we are and what we're doing. And we have to make sure that we put a stop to this any way we can within within the limits of the law. Of course, I'm I'm not uh, advocating that we go out and start shooting people on the left because they shot people on the. the national press that there are some standards to which they have to abide by. Uh, How do we do that without enacting laws that might limit freedom of speech if they could ever get through the Supreme Court? Uh, I'm not sure, but I think that for those of us who are in positions to speak out, like yours truly, that we need to speak out and say to to guys like the uh, newsman, I think it was on CBS, who basically said on national news that it was the the right wing's fault that right wing people were being shot by people on the left. This doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, you know, come on. Well, where's it headed? I've said many times since 9-11 that I thought we were headed for a civil war. I hope not. I hope not. I don't think that that's going to be in anybody's best interest. But a lot of the issues underlying the Civil War, and the division between the North and South, continue on. They have a little bit different character and some different issues that have come up, but basically they're the same. You know, what is the meaning of freedom and who is it for? Well, people on the left say it's for the whole world and we should just open our borders and let everybody come in and enjoy the benefits of our society without any pre-screening that we should tolerate violence and uh, terrorism as part of the growing pains of being an open and left-wing country, an internationalist, so to speak. Well, what is the meaning of freedom and who is it for? Well, certainly if you step foot in the United States, you pretty much enjoy all the same legal rights and protections as someone who's born here or someone who has a green card, even if you're a visitor with a visa. What's the purpose of freedom and what are its limits? And what's the purpose and the limits of a Republican government? We're not a pure democracy. I mean, we may be at the local level. Maybe you can go into town hall in your city or town and vote on certain things. But that that's not how we're set up as a nation. We're set up as a representative government with one chamber representing the people and the other representing the states. And that was one of the big compromises at the Constitutional Convention to get small states to come in. And we saw this come into play with the election. We saw that the popular vote 
went to the Democrats, but it was localized to a handful of states. But overwhelmingly, the majority of states voted Republican. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, are all people created equal and what, what constitutes equal opportunity? Freedom from slavery, I think we'd all agree on that. Health care, do we have a right to health care? Is that part of the landscape in the 21st century that we now have the ability purportedly to provide health care for everybody, even if they can't afford it? So are we morally responsible to treat all people equally and provide health care? I have health care. You got health care, Bill? Okay, so... We have health care, but there are people who do not. Well, then we have to look at some of the causes of people not having health care. And do doctors treat patients equally, whether they're insured or uninsured? Well, going back to Hippocrates, we were admonished to do just exactly that, to treat everybody equally. Does that mean everybody gets treated equally? Of course not. There were some incidences in the 70s and 80s with emergency rooms trying to dump people onto other hospitals because they were no pay and that's been stopped but that was a small minority that was not the majority of hospitals and of hospital physicians and ER physicians do I approach all the patients I see with the same concern care love affection attention whatever of course not I mean there are people that I don't think are going to make it going to make it either mortally because they're at the end of their life or they're not going to make it into the medical system because they have psychiatric problems or they're alcoholics. Uh, they don't want to stop drinking. They don't want to take their medications. Uh, they don't want to follow the rules. And I have patients who I just basically babysit and I listen to them and I nod. Yes. And, and then I put in the note non-compliant because no matter what I say or do, they're not going to do that. They're going to do what they think is right. And obviously they have some problems. Some are serious psychiatric problems like manic depression or schizophrenia. And, and some are just uh, personalities out of fear or a need to control. will do what they want and not listen to the doctor. Not that I'm always right. And I'm always open to hearing from my patients and have them say, well, wait a minute, I read this in the newspaper because I don't read every single thing on every medication and every treatment. And there's new information coming out all the time, so I have to keep, keep an open mind. But I do think that I endeavor to treat everybody reasonably equal. I don't look at what their insurance is. That's what my front office does. I'm not involved in that, and I don't care. And I know the physicians that I respect and that I go to myself are also the same way. My surgeon's the same way. He says, I don't know what I'm getting for this procedure, Bill, and I don't care. I'm doing all right. The front office handles that. My wife handles that. All I know is I have enough money to play, drive a car around, have some time off, and I'm happy. And that's the way it should be. So what does equality involve? Does it, in, does it mean that everybody has everything equally? 
Well, that experiment was tried in the 20th century, as we saw with Russia and China. And as I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, I'm just back from China. You can own the building that's on the land, but the government owns the land. But that's not any different than than uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands. The city owns all the land. The people voted back in the 80s, 70s, or 80s that the city should own all the land. So you can lease the land. And it's an indirect tax, of course. We have property tax, so... I'm not sure that it's a big, big deal, but I, I think that property rights are important, at least in our system and the way we operate as a republic. But the Chinese are not socialist or communist, not by any stretch of the imagination. I've never seen so many small businesses. I've never seen so many people hustling for a buck. So... The great experiments in socialism failed. They failed. And whose fault is that? Well, I think it's just inherent in a system that says we're all the same. We may all have equal protection under the law, but that does not mean that we are all equal. I can't help it that my parents gave me a big brain. Other things are so-so, but the brain's good. And I can't help it that uh, my neck was broken accidentally without me being involved other than just sitting with my back to the guy. These are accidents and circumstances over which I may not have that much control. And Bill and I were talking before the show. And how can Bill or me, yours truly, be held responsible for the sin of slavery? My parents were born in the United States, but their parents were not. You know, the accident of my birth does not make me immediately guilty for the sins of the forebears. That's Old Testament. That's not the New Testament. And if we're going to emulate a communist, you know, I would say that the two biggest were Buddha and Jesus. And what did they preach? They preached nonviolence. So I don't get it. I mean, they both said treat everybody equally and the same, and we all need to share what we have with each other. And that sounds like socialism to me. And here's the two biggest religious spiritual leaders in history advocating that we not be violent. And yet people on the left, who you would think would emulate their great leaders, their great heroes, two of whom should be Buddha and Jesus, are not doing that. Are we headed for a civil war? I don't know. Is it disturbing that people are actually shooting each other because of political views in this day and age? We've got a ballot box. Why don't we use that? Are we going to see more assassinations? Are we seeing things like Shakespeare in the park where Trump is being assassinated? 
you know, what are the preludes to a civil war anyway? Well, we, we saw this in the 19th century. We saw the great compromises that were made in 1850, the Kansas Wars, which were fights over whether or not Kansas would be a free state or a slave state, the North and the South fighting each other on this. We saw the great differences economically between the North and the South in the 19th century prior to the Civil War, actually post-Civil War as well, where the South was uh, exporting agrarian economy and raising protective tariffs by the Congress to protect nascent northern industries hurt the South because they were exporting to Europe. If we put an import tax on goods coming from Europe, then the Europeans and the Asians are going to tax on that to get it into another market, well, there's going to be friction. So we had two parts of the country that were geographically different. They were economically different. There were different morals and values. We're seeing that today. We see the coast, the states like California and New York and uh, Washington and Oregon the two coasts are very polarized on the left. And then in the center of the country, except for a few scattered states here and there, we see a predominantly conservative bent, a right-wing bent. i got to point out to the people on the left, this, this doesn't make any sense to pick a fight with Very different. You know, there was a real clear division between North and South. There was the Mason-Dixon line. The population of the North was three times, two to three times that of the South. The North had 85% of the industry. And so it was a no-brainer to hold the Union together. From a military and logistical standpoint, it was a no-brainer that the North would win or could win once the effort was put into it. Of course, Grant sacrificed hundreds of thousands of men over it. Be that as it may, it was a much easier fight to take up by the North when the South seceded. But you got two very distant parts of the country that are in agreement with the middle saying, no, we don't agree with you. You want to pick a fight with the middle? I mean, the, the, it just doesn't make any sense. It does not make sense. And I think that people on the left who are in positions of leadership need to stop and reflect on this and think about what it is they're either quietly or publicly advocating and what it's leading up to. It's not a good situation, and it's not one that I would advocate on either side. And we had the CBS anchor, I forgot his name, I've got it now, Scott Pelley, and he blamed Scalise, the representative who was shot through the pelvis 
couple of weeks ago while practicing for a congressional baseball game. Pelosi blames Fox News. I mean, I've never heard Fox News advocate violence. Am I missing something? Have you heard, Bill? I haven't heard them advocating anything other than just conservative views along with liberal uh, interjections to keep it fair and balanced. Glenn Thrush, who's another news person, blames Trump. Malcolm Harris, who has written for the Washington Post, said the shooter was acting in self-defense over health care. Well, th- there may be some truth to that because it's, it's quite possible this guy needed some medication and he wasn't getting. And I think those are aspects of it that may need to be looked at more closely. Now, the solution may not be universal health care. It may be more mental health care in the country and ferreting out these people who have major psychiatric problems, personality disorders, manic depressives, paranoids, and getting them in treatment and disarming them. Identify, disarm, and treat. But I don't see any way that one can say that a man who is not on the street starving, living in a hovel, and he's not an alcoholic or a drug addict, is in danger of losing his life because the Congress wants to cut back on Medicaid. I mean, maybe I've missed something somewhere. And don't get me wrong, I I personally believe that everyone should have some minimal level of health care. And I think expanding Medicaid is not a bad idea, but it's very costly. And so people stop and say, well, who's going to pay for it? And that, that's a good question course the left will say you the rich will pay for it my sisters will tell me you pay for it billy you're making big money we don't make anything well my baby sisters don't but and i you know i i I tell them it, it doesn't work that way economics does not work that way you you have to look at the bigger picture at the history of the world and how socialism failed so dramatically in russia and china and how antithetical Marxism is to our ethics and our morals and values that, by the way, predate Christianity. Influenced by Christianity subsequently, of course, but predated. And St. Augustine may have written the rules of engagement for warfare, but uh, these were not new things that he came up with. He codified them for us that we need to find some justification in one of the big brouhaha's from the left against the quote, quote, right was the Okay, well, what are you doing now, guys? Are you looking to start a civil war? That's a question we need to ask. Are we going to see senators and congressmen on the floor of the of the Capitol building beating each other with canes like we saw in the 19th century? Are we going to have duels between Whigs and Democrats? Are we going to have people killing each other over this? 
by the way, the guy had a rifle and he couldn't even hit anybody above the hips. What's up with that? Unless he was just a pervert and he wanted to shoot off the genitalia, but it just, it makes little sense to me. And I'm sure the guy has psychiatric problems, but it is nevertheless possible to stir people to violence and to, uh, extreme activities who are emotionally, mentally unbalanced by touting a philosophy of violence, by saying that they deserve it. The other side who got shot deserved it. I don't know how one can call themselves an American or a Christian or a Buddhist or a Hindu and say such crazy things. I mean, this is just the antithesis of what all the major religions, except for some parts of the Quran, tell us. We got some. We got something going on wrong here. You know, the underlying problem is fear: fear of not being in control, fear of not having a voice, fear of being disenfranchised emotionally, physically, economically. But fear is not a reason to go kill somebody. You know, if we're going to go to war with each other, let it be dispassionate and let it be for some real reasons, not for misperceived reasons. But why don't we do this? Why don't we not go to war with each other at all and sit down and work on some of these things? Yes, we have a divided Congress, no doubt about it. But I got to tell you, Bill, I was tickled pink at how long it took the Senate to come up with their bill. What was it, a month? I think it was April or May that, that the House sent it on up to them. And here it is, what, June? And they've already come up with a bill pretty much the same. They just changed a few things they didn't like. Well, the Senate's not there to do any heavy lifting. They're there to deliberate, which is fine, deliberate. So they tweaked it. We've got a health care bill that is cutting back Medicaid, but not enough cuts for some of the people in the Tea Party. And certainly on the left, there's an assault on their sacred cause, which is universal health care. So I don't know which way we're going with this. It's... It's looking, looking bleak in the near term. I think in the long term we're going to be okay, though. When I come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the Civil War and how it came about. This is Dr. Bill. I'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Rescuers in China have recovered 10 bodies and are still searching for 93 other people. A day after a massive landslide buried a picturesque mountain village in the southwestern part of the country, more than 2,500 rescuers are on the job today. A Pakistani official says an overturned oil tanker burst into flames today, killing at least 148 people and putting scores more in the hospital in critical condition. A southern Utah wildfire is growing at 63 square miles now and only about 10% contained. 13 homes 
have been destroyed so far. Great white sharks are making their annual return to the Northeast's popular vacation spots, seen recently off Cape Cod, New York, uh, Long Island, and the New Jersey Shore. But experts say your chances of being killed by a shark are only about one in four million. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. My name is Leslie, and my daughter, Lucy, goes to Christian school. For years, Faith Talk 570 and 910 has been helping Bay Area parents provide their children with an affordable private Christian school education. You know, I went to Christian school growing up, and I had wanted Lucy to go there. As I've been going back to work and trying to ramp up, having the 50% off thanks to Faith Talk has been huge for us. That's right. At ChristianTuitions.com, you'll find a wide selection of private Christian schools in our area with half off the first year's tuition. It has been such a gift for her. She loves the people there, absolutely loves the teachers. They pray before each class. It's just been a blessing. Half off at ChristianTuitions.com may sound too good to be true, but it is true. Faith Talk is wonderful. If you all are considering a private Christian education and trying to really make it work, they can make it happen. Learn more and get half off your first year at ChristianTuitions.com. That's ChristianTuitions.com. I'm Dan Medine, president of Sun Country Cleaners. Local churches serve our communities. In the same way, Sun Country Cleaners is committed to the communities we serve. Ways we give back include making our 38 locations drop-off points for various drives to help nonprofits like Joshua House, Park, and more. And of course, we're committed to making your school uniforms, work clothes, and Sunday's best look great. At Sun Country Cleaners, you'll find great quality at a fair price. Responsible, green, Sun Country Cleaners. Online at suncountrycleaners.com. Today, partly sunny skies up to a high of 90, partly cloudy tonight, low 78. Partial sunshine on Monday, high 89. Partly cloudy skies Monday night, low 76. For Tuesday, periods of clouds and sun, expect a high of 89. And for Wednesday, clouds and sun, high 89. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Art Miller for AM860, The Answer. Radio MD, that's Bobby Freeman from 1959. Do you want to dance and make romance? Oh boy, I love that song. 
When I was a kid, I used to. Earlier to today, and I, I kind of laugh when I hear parents telling their kids to take their headsets off or their earplugs out. Uh, times haven't really changed now, have they? I'm sure that in the 19th century, parents said, don't stand so close to that banjo player. You'll go deaf. Well, we're talking about the increasing split divide between the right and the left, between the liberals and the conservatives, and some of the violence that's being perpetrated. By the way, we're having a little trouble with uh, some pauses in the transmission today, so hang in there and, and don't go away if it drops out for a few seconds. I'm talking with my producer about this as as we work. Now, the causes of the Civil War, which were the great conflict that we refer back to in the United States and evaluate and uh, do postmortems on it and historical insight and perspectives and all that, the causes leading up to it were, were really national, much as we have legislation and national policies that are shaping our attitudes towards each other today. And the Missouri Compromise and the Compromise of 1850 along with the Kansas-Nebraska Act, were attempts by Congress to find a compromise between the free states and the slave states. As we all know, we bought the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. It wasn't until uh, after 1820 or so that there was really a big push to settle the area because not much was known about it. But as it rapidly was settled, uh, there were territories that were applying for statehood, just as most states did, including Kentucky and Florida. Drawing lines across the country by having local votes so that people in that territory would decide. And the, the problem with that was, especially in Kansas, is that people from Missouri who were pro-slavery, Quantrell's Raiders, they were crossing into Canada, into Kansas, rather, and voting as pro-slavers, even though they didn't live there. And there were districts where there may have been a 1,000 votes and only 200 registered voters. Congress ended up looking into that and having a congressional committee investigate it. But by the time all of this had been figured out, the Civil War was, was in swing. So in the 1850s, we saw Quantrell and John Brown, the great abolitionists fighting each other in in Kansas and Missouri. And we saw John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry, for which he and a number of his uh, cohorts were hung. And all this was adding more fuel to the fire. And the Southerners were saying, well, the North doesn't respect us. They want to destroy us economically. They want to crush any voice we may have in Congress. There was the Wilmot Proviso. Then we had Harriet Beecher Stowe write Uncle Tom's Cabin. By the way, her brother was Reverend Beecher, and he was an ardent abolitionist who was sending guns to arm Southern blacks so that they could rebel. The Dred Scott case, which most of us learned about in school, where a slave named Dred Scott 
sued for his freedom and claiming that he was a human being and he had rights. And the Supreme Court said, no, not under the Constitution, you don't. It's hard for us to fathom that now. But that was the mindset at that time, and, and the laws were such that the Supreme Court was just following the law. And, of course, the Southerners said, well, this is just and right. Even though I may not own slaves, we as states have rights, and we as people have rights. And at the North, they said, well, Dred Scott's a person. He has rights, too. The differences between the North and South were not only philosophical, they were economic, they were geographic, as I said earlier. And the South told Congress, I said, if you, if you folks elect Lincoln as your president, we're seceding. Lincoln was elected. The vote was split four ways. There were four people running. And it was a very difficult election, and it tore the country asunder. The new territories that, coming, that came in included California and Texas. Just prior to the Civil War in the 1840s, Texas came in. 1850, California came in. And these were big pieces of territory, big pieces of land, big states geographically, much, much bigger than anything the eastern states had seen. Lines were drawn across the country. People were fighting. One congressman caned another congressman to death for insulting a family member in an open speech, slandering his family. Quantrell and John Brown were killing each other. In 1850, when California came into the Union, it applied as a free state. And it was such a heated issue at that time in Congress that Senator Thomas Hart Benton of Missouri had a gun pulled on him by Senator Henry Foote of Mississippi. That was in the Senate, on the Senate floor. In 1849, the number of free states equaled the number of slave states at 1515. And the admission of California as a free state upset that balance for the South. The titular philosophical, intellectual, moral, spiritual leader of the South in the first half of the 19th century was a guy named John Calhoun, who was a senator from South Carolina. And from 1820 to his death in 1850, he fought for the southern states as a senator. He was from South Carolina. He refused compromises. He demanded that fugitives or runaway slaves be returned to their owners it was rough and the compromises didn't didn't work 
Is that a warning for us today? Are these compromises on health care and other socially charged issues, are they working or not working? Well, Obamacare is not working. It divided the country further. It made it even worse. We're more divided than ever. Did the compromise of Obama and our foreign policy bring us together in any way? No, it's polarized us more. Will the Republicans do the same with their attack on the attempt by the Democrats to institute universal health care? Sure looks like it. It sure looks like it. The laws that were passed before the Civil War to try and the, to keep the peace and, and keep folks from killing each other over this didn't work as a compromise for the Compromise of 1850, one of the parts of the bill was the Fugitive Slave Act, which gave more teeth to the arrest, seizure, and return of slaves who had run away to the North. And the North was furious because it felt they felt that it had forced them into being a part of this whole slavery institution. So there are a number of similarities, but there are also a number of differences between then and now. And I hearken back to the 1960s and 70s when I was a kid, and I was a hippie, and I was left-leaning until I had to go out and earn money and raise children. Then I quickly figured that one out. But the the sentiment at that time was that we were going to have a civil war in the late 60s and it carried on into the early 70s and that was one of the most politically charged times in my life and I remember vaguely the anti-communism of the 1950s I vividly remember standing out in the backyard and looking up waiting for Russian bombers to drop nuclear weapons on our heads the fear of the nuclear holocaust, which we grew up with. Things were relatively calm in the 1980s and 90s. Yeah, there were protests against Reagan. Yeah, there were people who didn't think much of Clinton. And into 2000, and then 9-11 distracted us from our domestic problems. Although terrorism is a domestic problem, I think a lot of us thought this was foreign and that we needed to take the fight to the enemy, a forward deployment, which is fine with me. But now we see the animosity that is arising. And I think it's more on the left than the right. I mean, I don't hate my sisters. I love them. I think they're misinformed. I think that they are not well-educated on a lot of the economics and socio-political ideas and studies and research. And I'm not going to argue with them because it's an emotional argument from their viewpoint, as is a lot of the left. And emotionalism is certainly not a good way to approach a problem. Emotions may stimulate us to action, but the action has to be directed by our intellect and by study and by understanding and by wisdom 
And these things are not going to come from knee-jerk reactions out of uh, an emotion of fear or anger, which is the result of fear, or hate, which is anger, again. And we're not going to resolve these problems by being driven by our emotionalisms and by the belief that we're right and you're wrong, or you're right and I'm wrong. I really don't like dealing in right and wrong. I like to deal in things that work and don't work. You know, it doesn't work to hit a guy in the face because he took your seat at a ball game. He's going to get up and hit you back or they're going to come and throw you out. You know, it's, it's Newtonian physics. For every action, there's a reaction. So that doesn't work. So we don't do that, or at least I don't. And I have to decide what's worth fighting over. Is a seat at a ball game worth fighting over? For some people it is, you know, especially after they've had a couple of beers, but that's not worth fighting over to me. Is cutting back on Medicaid worth fighting over? Is anybody going to die on the street? Nobody was dying on the street before we expanded Medicaid. And I know there are people say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. There are people dying on the street. And I've said this before on the show, and I'll say it again. I have doctor friends who are ultra-liberal. I have one doctor friend whose wife's even a social worker, quote, quote, and she tells him there are people starving to death because of the policies of our government. I said, okay, let's go see him. I've thrown that challenge down to him several times. Never once has he offered to take me to see someone who's starving. The only people I see starving are people with medical problems, are people who are chronic alcoholics on the street, or people who are being abused and neglected by family or friends. And you're not going to change that through expanding Medicaid or expanding food programs. That's not going to happen. That's going to change when we change the culture of abuse and neglect that exists in our society, and you don't do that through a civil war. You don't do that through shooting each other because of political views or votes in the Senate or the House. I don't know, Bill, is there an immorality here that I'm missing? Or are we trying to make something that doesn't exist into a goblin, a monster that's going to devour us all? I don't see big outbreaks of polio or rubella. I don't see smallpox in the United States. I really don't see a whole lot of any serious communicable diseases because healthcare has been able to very nicely spread the care around in these areas. I don't see kids going without healthcare. I don't see any pediatricians that are slow. We've got a plethora of doctors in St. Pete, Florida at the adult level, so there's certainly some slow times for some of the physicians because there's too many doctors for the 
percentage of people here are for the per capita. It's a great place to live. Everybody wants to live here. And I'm certainly willing to see people who don't have money and, and are having a hard time. But I'm not going to see somebody who's a professional bum. And I don't want to take care of panhandlers on the street because I've seen that up close working at certain nursing homes. And I tell you, they're alcoholics, almost all of them. So somebody tell me, somebody convince me that this is an appropriate issue to take up arms over. I don't think so. I may be wrong. You know, Abraham Lincoln, after hearing about the violence in Kansas in the 1850s, he predicted that bloodshed would occur nationally. And he was one who said a house divided against itself cannot stand. He said that you can't have free states and slave states. It's not going to work. But if California wants to have universal health care, that's fine with me, but don't ask me to pay for it. If California wants to accept more immigrants than Florida or Kentucky, that's certainly, with federal regulations being followed, that's certainly their, their right as a state. And if they want to provide health care and give benefits to people who are coming in, please, go ahead, help yourself. The argument is that what benefits California benefits all of us. Or what benefits Florida benefits all of us. But Florida did not buy into the Medicaid expansion under Obamacare. And Rick Scott and the Florida legislature were able to keep the budget in tow. And we came out of the recession in the black. And I didn't see any more people dying on the streets in fact, I didn't see anybody dying on the streets except motor vehicle accidents. There was a crazy guy who in the wee hours of the morning would drive his electric wheelchair up and down 38th Avenue North, which is a busy four to five lane street, and he was killed. And I even saw the police stopping him and telling him, look, dude, you need to get off the street. And he refused. Of course, they're not going to try and arrest this guy. How are they going to get his wheelchair in? And uh, is he committing a crime against society, or is he just committing a crime against himself? Well, I think I've made my point. And if not, you're welcome to call me and argue. But I just don't see it, folks. We need to stop this violence on the left. We need to stop the left from promoting it, uh, from espousing it, uh, from calling for Trump's assassination. And the only way we can do it is by all speaking up. So we need to speak up. We need to say, you got to stop this. This is not right. It's immoral. It's unethical. It's counterproductive. And it's going to divide us. And, and we're going to have another civil war. And we lost more men in the civil war than we did in the first and second world war. That's a big deal, folks. Well, it's close to the end of the show. Appreciate you guys being here today. 
Billy Boy, you have a good rest of the weekend, and I'm going to go sit by the pool and sip something cool to drink. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Good morning, St. Petersburg, Florida. 5, 10, 25, 50, 75. It's auction time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.